Hey, what's up, everybody? This is Joey Calvez. I want to tell you guys a little bit about the Department of Metahuman Affairs. This one is a story about a team led by a retired sidekick, two felons, a failed actor from Broadway, and a reprogrammed cyborg. But their first mission is to stop the criminals who have robbed a bank, and they will have to set the world at ease. You're going to get 180 pages of entertainment action-packed awesomeness right here in the first six issues in a collected hardcover volume one all you got to do is head on over to kickstarter.com and type in the department of metahuman affairs or dma and check it out right now i'm like usually tapped out but Hey everybody, it's Will back with another episode of Creators Outlet. Tonight we're joined by Michael Dultz. Before we jump into everything, I hope you get the last name right. Uh, before we <laughs> jump into everything, I'm going to give a big shout out to our sponsor for this video, SpinWiz Comics at SpinWizComics.com. It is a web and indie comic discovery platform that is free to download on iOS and Android, where you can read a whole bunch of free comics. I like free. And, you know, what's wrong with that? Go check it out for yourself. Download the app. If you enjoy it, please give them a five-star review. We're trying to get them up to 100 downloads and five-star reviews by the end of the month. And here's what it will look like on your phone. And now, on with the program. Michael, welcome, fellow podcaster. That's right. And okay. comic creator. I'm not a comic creator. I just talk to you guys all the time. Well, I mean, we were just talking uh, backstage. You know, uh, starting the podcast was uh, a way to uh, reignite my network in comics as a comic book creator and put myself as a comic book creator back in the in the forefront. So, uh, so I think it's... Um, I think it's all connected somehow, you know? Yeah, it seems to be the, well, it's 2020. There's nothing to do. Either you're creating comics or you're, or you're doing a podcast. Yeah, <laughs> that's very true. So tell us about how you uh, got into the industry and about your journey so far. Oh, man. I mean, it's been a 20-year journey. So uh, it's definitely been a... Um, I mean, it's crazy. It's been 20 years, but I, so I, I mean, I've always been wanting to do comedy. I've always wanted to do comics. Comics were, um, you know, the thing that I absolutely loved and, um, always loved doing. Uh, so when I was in college, I remember, um, you know, very profoundly, I took an internship at a design company. I was an art major and, um, I remember getting home. So I'm, I'm based in New York city, um, right outside, uh, on the Jersey side and, um, taking the bus home. And I saw these like, just people that looked very like unhappy or tired or whatever the case might be. And, um, you know, I kind of said to myself, I'm like, no, man, I want to, I want to, I want to make comics, man. You know, like I want to, I want to enjoy myself and, and I want to make sure that what I'm doing is like the best thing I possibly can do. And, um, and so, you know, from that day forward, I mean, not even from that day forward. I mean, I was creating comics when I was 11, you know, <laughs> like, I mean, it was, uh, I mean, it's, it's, it's not something, I mean, it's, it was always there, you know? And, um, so, Self-published my first book. Um, it was actually my senior project. It was uh, a book called Crossfire. And um, it was uh, about a superhero forced by his own costume to fight evil. Uh, 
it was the best mistake I ever made. I learned all the things you don't do. Um, I didn't have diamond distribution. I wrote, I did everything. I wrote, I drew it, I inked it, I lettered it, I colored it. I mean, I did, I, I, I went and I, in, in, I created a font based on my handwriting, like everything to it, like to, to like the T was like, was me. And uh, I sent it off to Diamond and uh, they're like, no, nah, or it's not good enough. And I'm like, well, shoot, now what do I do? <laughs> you know, um, lucky for me at the time, and uh, I'm sure uh, maybe some of your listeners uh, remember this. Uh, I hope you would remember this as well. Wizard Magazine. Uh, Wizard Magazine was right in my town. Uh, it was right where I grew up. I actually knew uh, I shopped at the store before it was a magazine. I remember when I was like 10 or 11, they were talking about turning their newsletter into a magazine. Like that's, I mean, that's how far back uh, that went and how deep I happen to be, you know, involved in that and um, not involved personally, but just like, you know, fly on the wall kind of thing. Uh, and, uh, and so I, I applied and I got a, uh, an internship there in college and I, and I got a, a full-time job there and I became uh, the website editor uh, for them for a number of years. So I was there from, uh, from 2002 to 2006 and it was around 2004. I was like, you know what? I don't remember who she was, but uh, we were at Wizard World Texas one year in 2004, and um, I was busy interviewing all of the um, creators there. And, and it was actually like the, one of the worst jobs in, on the planet for me because I was talking to all these people that were making comics. So it was a very glass box kind of life, you know, it was like I could look, but I couldn't touch. And... Um, and, and I had a conversation with someone there and, and she's like, well, whatever happened? And I'm like, well, you know, I tried and it didn't work out. And she's like, so you're going to give up? And I'm like, well, no, and no. And, and, um, and from there, I, I, I reimagined Crossfire. I brought on a super talented artist by the name of Dan Leister, uh, who's like one of my best friends now. I mean, really, um, we, we both kind of came in the industry at the same time. Uh, and we really re-released it as a... Um, uh, a new superhero comic called The Sire, S-I-R-E, and uh, same concept, superhero forced by his own concept to fight evil. Uh, brought Talent Caldwell on to do covers for us and, um, you know, took a second pass at Diamond, got in, um, you know, had a, had one of, you know, had a, had a very, very successful and critically acclaimed run on that, and um, that was around 2006. So, uh, you know, five-year span between when I first started and, and when I finally had success, and from there, you know, everything kind of, uh, kind of snowballed. It was uh, it was five years of just networking and and paying my dues, and um, did some stuff for Zenoscope. I wrote some uh, some Grim Fairy Tales comics for them, um, and also I, you know, I still colored my own book because I had the art major background and the coloring background, and um, uh, I, I worked on a small indie project in '05 uh, for a company called Silent Devil, which I don't, they're they're definitely not around anymore, but. Uh, the creator who um, who wrote the comic that I colored was like, "Hey, I got a book at Image. Do you want to color the book at Image?" And I'm like, "Well, yeah, of course I do." You know, he's like, "I have no money. I can't give you anything." And I'm like, "I don't care. That's fine." Um, but what he did was he allowed me to get introduced to Jim Valentino and Kristen Simon, who were at Image, and uh, I was able to um, you know pitch my own stuff. And uh, they they took on a book that was co-created by myself and uh, a really talented fellow by the name of Marcus Perry. Uh, who's out in LA? He directs. Um, he he's like big in the uh, commercial world out there. So he does a lot of really great um, directing of like movie stars for their upcoming um, films and stuff. And um, you know, they took on our book. It was called Descendant, 
Uh, so I ended up having a big image eye on my on my uh, on my resume, and it was uh, it was it was pretty cool. So around 2009 was was just you know all all sales you know all sales ahead, all everything kind of shooting forward. Took a little bit of time off, came back. Um, my editor had gotten let go, kind of floated around. I, I brought Sire back. We had done six issues in a trade. Um, and uh, you know, tested Kickstarter out uh, with a book called Undone. This is in 2014, so that was my first like, you know, you know, doing stuff. I, I you know, I had published some Sire books um, independently, uh, not through Diamond at that point. Um, and right around 2015, I kind of said, you know, well, you know, how am I gonna like a lot of my contacts had kind of dried up, and just it just it it wasn't the same. Um, you know, uh, being in the, in the industry. So I said, you know, how am I going to re-energize myself here and how am I going to get myself back out in the forefront? And so I decided to start a podcast. And, uh, in 2015, that was secrets of the sire. So I just kind of went full on brand and, um, renamed my company sire studios and, uh, the podcast, it, it, it did everything it was supposed to do and more. Um, got me reconnected with Zenoscope. They published my next book, which was mainstream, uh, co-created by talent. Caldwell was another good friend of mine. And um, that was in 2018. And then uh, just last year, Secrets of the Sire uh, actually got acquired by a new digital company that just started. Um, and we literally just went, launched the website uh, for the new company. It's called Rogue Matter. Uh, we renamed the podcast Rogue Wave. So we are the Rogue Wave podcast now. And uh, doing, and I've just been signed on to do, you know, uh, multiple projects with them as well, too, including my backdrop, um, which is. They, they acquired The Undone, which was my Kickstarter book, which was pretty cool. So uh, I, I had launched the first issue in 2014. Never. Just, I was like, I was always like, ah, I'll do that second issue. Kickstarters, which we'll get into, they're a lot of work. <laughs> like, they're a lot of work. Mm -hmm. And it's aggravating work. It's, it's that, like, I am a hard worker. Like, I'm just, a, I'm like, a, my, my wife actually, like, complains sometimes because I'm like a workaholic. And, and I, I really am. But the stuff that I love to do. Um, is either engage with folks like you or engage with an audience or write or draw. I hate promoting <laughs> and Kickstarter is all about promoting. Um, and so it's, it's a, it's, it's a, it's a reflex that I, I remember doing it. And it was just, it was, it was so like mentally stressful 30 days. I don't even do Kickstarters for 30 days anymore. I won't even, I won't even try that. Um, yeah, it just, it can be, it can be extremely stressful. Um, and so, you know, to kind of work with Rogue Matter now and, and they'll be publishing the book and, and they'll be, um, you know, and they, we just, we actually just did a Kickstarter, but they have a team. <laughs> and so it's, it's, it's a, it's a, it's a totally different experience doing that. And, um, I uh, just want to give a shout out to James Massia. Um, he and I just did another Kickstarter, uh, previous to this it was through his company, Dren Productions called Plan 59 from Outer Space is a sequel to Plan 9. And oh, yeah, I saw that one. yeah, yeah. So it's, um, it's been great. Um, I did. I Sire is strictly Kickstarter. Kickstarter now, um, but I'm writing and drawing that book. Um, we're going to be coming back out in 2021. Um, you know, and and for the most part in 2015, when I when I uh, opted to start the podcast and and radio show, it was, you know, I I, I quit my job. I I just went in full full tilt, and and I've been creating ever since. So. Um, you know, those, those kind of like ultimatum decisions that you make with yourself, uh, you know, do I give up? What do I do? You know, uh, I, I, you know, I kept, kept pushing and now, you know, this year, despite the world ending has <laughs> actually been 
like one of my best years. I mean, it's, it's, uh, it's crazy. Um, you know, we had the descendant, uh, Kickstarter last, uh, last year, which was great. Uh, we, we finally, Marcus and I collected all three issues, put it in a trade paperback, put that on a Kickstarter that, that got, uh, funded, uh, put it, uh, a couple, uh, put the new sire trade out, uh, you know, last year also, uh, more stuff coming out this year and more stuff, stuff coming out next year. And that pretty much is it. So nothing, nothing too much. I didn't, I haven't accomplished too much. Not, a, not a lot. No. You should, you should have tried harder. Mm-hmm. But at least you got a red solo cup. Oh man, <laughs> oh, it's Friday night. <laughs> it's Friday night, and we're sitting around talking about comic books and podcasts. And yeah. So. You said that uh, there's a team that works on the Kickstarter now. It's not you doing all that tedious work. So are you strictly just working on the book and there's a group of other, you know, other magical beings just doing all that Kickstarter stuff or... You know, it's actually well, yes and no. Um, I, I, I like to give sh- I, I like to give props to them because I think um, the folks at Rogue Matter, um, Christiane is the is the business manager. So so first of all, Rogue Matter, um, just to kind of give you a little bit of background about them. Um, they're a new digital startup company. They're based in LA. Um, they've uh, they're trying to bridge the gap between new talent and Hollywood because that's where they come from. And um, and so the team behind that and. Uh, you know, has that, has that ability, you know, so I, you know, the whole time I've been working behind the scenes to try to get the meeting, right? Like that's, that's what I want, right? I, like oh, I want to yeah. be, I want to be able to, um, you know, pitch. And um, I, I, I've done some successful pitching in my life where I was an NBC. I was in there in 2017, I was pitching some TV show ideas and um, you know, in 2018 uh, I was shopping a, a TV pilot and, you know, so there's a lot of, um, you know, straightforward, like just screenwriting stuff that I, that I was able to kind of like um, pitch and stuff. But it was never, you know, it didn't have a full force of somebody behind it. And now, what Rogue Matter provides is is again, like I said, a team of people that are that are behind it in terms of trying to get new talent, undiscovered talent, diverse talent, just out there. And um, you know, I'm I'm just so proud to be a part of that. And uh, when they bought the podcast, you know. I'm I'm basically in charge of the podcast network that we're trying to grow. We're trying to just build, you know, it's not just comics, it's digital content, it's short stories, it's novels, it's films, it's video, it's podcasts, scripted podcasts. I mean, you name it, we're basically, you know, producing a whole bunch of content. Kickstarter is something that um is it just it just naturally meshes with what the message of Rogue is. Rogue is all about community, it's about building a community. And that's what Kickstarter is, really. It's 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 reaching out to a community. Um, so when I say we have a team of people, it's it's a team of people out there that yeah, we're we're you know it it, it helps to um, you know kind of uh, kind of have multiple people that can handle social media promotion and can handle you know putting the page together and uh, you know doing all this kind of stuff, which is amazing. Um, it, it also just kind of helps having other people who are just as driven as you are and they're excited about your project, you know? So it's, um, so it's, it's not just, you know, I'm definitely not hands off. I'm, I was promoting, promoting, promoting. I mean, the, the, the Kickstarter never gets any easier in terms of promotion, but at least, you know, there's, you know, a, a small group, you know, four or five folks who are working with me 
as opposed to just kind of be, you know, being on an island. Um, mm -hmm. I know you don't, you mentioned you don't do comics, uh, you know, you don't make comics, you talk to comic creators and stuff. Um, that's when you're doing a Kickstarter to be like, just you're, you're a one man solo enterprise and you are just pitching the hell out of yourself. And it's really what you're doing, right? You're promoing yourself. You're, oh yeah, you're, you're out there. And, and so just, just to even just have folks who are, uh, unified behind you is, is, um, you know, it's, it's really special. So, um, folks can go to roguematter.com right now and they can preview all this stuff. The other cool thing about rogue matter, um, that, that I'm excited about is it's a completely free website. Um, there's no, we're not selling any books. Uh, the Kickstarter is actually just going right to the creators. Um, so anything, any, any money made is, is going to go to the, is going to go to promoting the creators and, um, and making them, you know, uh, you know, front and center. So, and just kind of, you know, giving a little extra to them. So, um, my art team on this is a gentleman named, uh, Sue Sherpa. He does the pencils and inks and, uh, Bakta Rajin is the, uh, is the colorist. I do the writing and lettering. Um, so, you know, all, all the funds, you know, go to, go to us. So it's, it's, it's completely a, um, a community building kind of move. Um, the reason they also want to do Kickstarter because the the rest of the content is actually going to be like I said free on the website. Um, it, it's it's again kind of testing this water of of attracting Kickstarter has be like when I did Kickstarter in 2014. It took me a while. It took me about two years to want to actually wrap my head around what Kickstarter was. Um, I remember when I first heard about it in like 2012 or 2013. I forget. I was I was like I don't want to ask my friends and family for money. Like it just it felt weird. Like it felt like I was I was like. I'm like, no, I, I, you know, like I been published before. I don't, I don't want to like beg for money. And then I've self published before. Right. And so, so, you know, there was, there was this hesitancy. Um, but then once you figure out, and, and this kind of developed over time, Kickstarter became a place people went to find new projects and find new comics. Um, it's like the second biggest distribution model now behind like, like bookstores, you know, or Amazon. Um, so that's kind of where, rogue wanted to go like they, they want to be where the community is at so kickstarter is a logical place for it now i know kickstarter is a bigger it's the big name brand kind of like you know mm -hmm. ebay is the name brand for you know selling all your stuff and uh but why choose that over indiegogo um so i've actually well, there's a couple reasons. I think depending on who you ask, um, you know, Facebook is sorry. Uh, Kickstarter is like the Facebook to Indiegogo's MySpace, right? There's there's mm -hmm. that there's a difference in that. Um, the ticking clock, the funded or not funded, you know, which you can do on Indiegogo, but that's not really what Indiegogo uh, has made a name for itself. Indiegogo has made a name for you can, you know, if if you choose to, you know, if you're asking for two thousand, you get eighteen hundred. Well you still get the money. Um, whereas Kickstarter is like, nope, 2000, you came 1999, you're short. That's it. So there's a little more sense of urgency to it. Um, in this particular case, I don't think there's any reason uh, one was was picked over the other, except again, Kickstarter just has uh, a bigger uh, name in terms of, in terms of following. I, I know I tried an Indiegogo project with, uh, with the sire um, in 20, I want to say either 2018 or 2019. Um, the, the book was featured on, uh, the CBS show, the, e uh, evil it was kind of like in the background. I mean, it was no, nothing great. It wasn't you know, super featured, but it was cool. It was like cool to see my character on TV. It was kind of cool. 
Um, so I was like, oh, let me do a let me do a variant of the trade paperback, and I put it on Indiegogo, and just like crickets, like absolute crickets. Meanwhile, I mean, you know, I go on Kickstarter, and you know, we're funding books, so um, it felt uh, it felt like just a different audience. So I don't think there's anything wrong with it because I know there's a lot of folks out there who've gone to Indiegogo and made um, you know a lot of strides on Indiegogo. So I don't know, I don't know. In this you know, again for this particular case. Uh, Kickstarter was just the place to be. Um, I think once you start building a Kickstarter audience, um, it is it's like Pepsi and Coke, you know, like that, that's, you know, the people that are following that doesn't mean Indiegogo can't work. Now I, I know Indiegogo just launched um, like an ongoing platform, almost like an online store. So, I mean, that's something that I'm going to definitely get, you know, a lot of the um, content that I have on as well too, because look at this point, it, there's nothing wrong with getting in as many platforms as you can because because again there's an there's an audience for indiegogo there's an audience for kickstarter um you know there's an audience for smashwords and and you know amazon and you know all these places so there's no reason no reason to limit yourself in turn especially if you're an indie creator right now yeah well the pluses that i've heard from from indiegogo is uh number one more of the money gets to the creators yeah uh, number two, they, there's, there's something where they can do, uh, the, you get to do like a pre-launch and you get to do that with Kickstarter as well, yep. where, you, where you just, you know, drive your audience to, uh, to basically, you know, sign up. So as soon as it launches. Yeah, that's on Kickstarter now. I mean, they, yeah. they definitely, you know, it's funny. It's great. I mean, look, the competition is great, right? Because, um, without the competition that they wouldn't keep striving to kind of like borrow from each other and, and, and top each other, you know? So, um, yeah, Indiegogo started that and Kickstarter, you know, applied it. I think Kickstarter is also allowing you to do add-ons now because there's company yeah. like backer kit. Um, that was a, was a, was a huge find. Like backer kits, an amazing, um, tool for creators out there where it literally just gives you the opportunity to upsell, some other stuff to the same people that already bought your stuff. So it's like, Oh, by the way, do you want to buy the pin or do you want to buy the magnet or do you want to buy the extra print? It's like, Oh yeah, I kind of do like, Oh, I remember I kickstarted it. I, I gave. Well, boom studios even said, right? Like, so boom, boom took a lot of flack for being on Kickstarter for the Keanu Reeves project. Um, but boom understands what it is and what all these platforms are. Now these are just distribution models. Mm -hmm. Um, Yes, it's about supporting community, and yes, it's about supporting up-and-coming creators, um, but it's just as much, you know, he said it, he's like, look, there's an audience of people out there, one click, you get the whole book, you forget about it for nine months, it shows up in your in your mailbox nine months later, like, it's, like, you can't beat that, you know, um, so why wouldn't creators want to be on there, you know? Well, I heard, I heard... It wasn't. I wasn't hearing a lot of flat from a lot of people, but I I heard enough to to know that there were a bunch of bunch of indie guys that were uh, and gals that were, you know, upset that you know all these bigger all these bigger publishers mm -hmm. like uh, Boom Dynamite does it all the time now yep. with yep. with Kickstarter and Indiegogo. They're like yep. all, all over the place for it, and some of it. it some of it aggravates me mm -hmm. with uh, with dynamite and don't get me wrong, I love dynamite. Yeah, uh, and you know, most more importantly, I love Vampirella. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
but it irks me when I hear a creator that I love is been hit up to do an exclusive cover for a character I love. Mm -hmm. And then I go there and they're doing a cover and they're just slapping it on an old book. Yeah. Um, I think, I think that's, I think that's weak the same way. I think Hollywood is weak when all they do is all they're doing is like remakes. Yeah. I'm like, well, the audience is built in for it. I go, yeah, but you have this movie and this movie was, is, is brilliant the way it is. It stands up to the test of time. Sure. And well, that's, and, that's like fear. Right. And, you know, quit ruining my childhood. Uh, <laughs> you know, well, that's the thing. I mean, it's just all fear, right? Like it's interesting too. Cause if you think about it, right. Like these are people that want established brands you know, like I just I just read, I guess uh, I know what you did last summer is going to be on an Amazon Prime series. And you're like, really? Like that movie? You're going to turn that into a but but immediately I know what I know. I, I know that movie like I recognize it. And, um, you know, in this in this day and age, um, you know, in some ways, I wish I was 20 years younger. I wish I was starting in this day and age when you have live streaming and you have, you know, um, YouTube and you have. Facebook and you have like all these outlets, um, you know, and Amazon and, and, and Kickstarter and, and all these things, you have outlets to just get your stuff out there and there's no middleman and it's great. Um, in, in many ways though, being established in the industry for 20 years has been more of an advantage than anything else because a, I already have the connections and that's a good thing. Um, B I have the credibility also, and that's a good thing, but C, um, you know, I, I I think there's a lot of noise out there too. And there's a lot of, there's a lot of up and coming creators. I mean, I've, I've pledged a bunch of Kickstarters that I've never seen. Like I, like, you know, two years later, I'm like, where's the book, you know, <laughs> like where, you know, where's your book? I haven't even, um, you know, and, and it's tough to, you know, I think music, music, I'm a big music guy. And that's, that's a problem too. Like there's, everyone's like, well, there's no good rock bands out there. And I'm like, well, there's no good rock bands that we can hear because it's just, you just, if you're a band, you just throw your stuff up on SoundCloud or YouTube and you hope for the best, right? I mean, it's, it's, there's just so much competition. And, and, and so cutting out the gatekeepers, yes, there's an inherent positive to that, but no, there is also, you know, Hey, you are, th th when there's no gatekeepers, you know, Crossfire, my first book, I look back on it. Yeah. The art wasn't good enough. Like diamond was right. Like diamond was looking at it as what is going to sell in a comic book store. And unfortunately, you know, my art at the time just wasn't up to, wasn't up to par. And, um, nowadays I could have taken that to Kickstarter and I could have made a couple grand off it. So there's a positive to that, but there's also a negative to it in the fact that my art, you know, if I didn't reach, I, I don't know, I feel like, I feel like I would have, I wouldn't have benefited as much as I did, uh, having had that, you know, in the loss column rather than the win column. Oh yeah. Cause I know you know, just from doing this podcast, you know, I, I get, you know, hit, hit up. Well, we get probably about 20, 20 or 30, I get like about 20 or 30 emails or, uh, you know, DMs a week yeah, from people, you know, that either see the podcast or, you know, reviews I'm doing or whatever. And, uh, like, well, I got a Kickstarter, you know, can we get it up on your, can we get it up? you know, on your brand or, you know, mm -hmm. uh, 
And, you know, sometimes I look at it and, you know, it's, you know, it's a, it's a great project. Yeah. And other times I look at it and. We live in an age right now where criticism is viewed as bullying. And don't get me wrong. Some of it is. Uh, I mean, some of it is just people being mean. People have been mean all for all of time, right? Like mm -hmm. your stuff sucks. That's not criticism. That's that's being mean or being negative, right? Um, but then there's also some people saying like, mm, you know, I just didn't think it was a good idea or I just didn't think the artwork was good enough or nothing about that attracted me. So somebody sent me a Kickstarter recently and then they want to be on the show. And um, I saw one, like one of them, and I, I read it and I was like, I'm like, Honestly, in my head, I was like, there's nothing about this that's appealing to me. Um, and, and I could be wrong. It just might not be for me. But the way they presented it on Kickstarter, I'm like, I, I don't, I have no, I don't even want to back this. Not because these guys might not, these guys might be the nicest people in the world. And I hope they are. And I hope their project succeeds. So I'm not rooting against it. But reading it and seeing the artwork, I'm like, eh, you know? So it, it's it's an interesting thing. I, I And that's, we live in an age where the work is not necessarily right now uh, the most important thing. It's 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 who's making it and the story behind it. And, um, and and there's merit to all that because I think there is merit to people working really hard on something, um, you know, but there's also merit to – I did get sent another Kickstarter and I was like, the artwork's great. Got quotes from Brian Michael Bendis who read it and said it was great. I'm like, all right, I'm I'm in. Like, I'm in. There's an indie guy, and the concept looked interesting, and the art looked interesting, and uh, you know, very professional. I'm in. I backed it, and you know, hopefully, we'll have him on the show pretty soon just to kind of you know help promote it and and talk about it. Um, so yeah, no, it's 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 a weird, it's a weird time we live in right now. Yeah, it's it's definitely weird, and it's going to get weirder because you mm -hmm. know. Mad Max is showing up next year. <laughs> I hope not. I hope not. Well, I, I want to go back to conventions, man. I can't wait. Oh, I know. But I mean, I was I, I was watching the original Mad Max on yeah. uh, on on Pluto the other week, and uh, okay. And at the beginning of the movie, when they're doing like the pans of all the scenery and everything, sure. And the year comes up, and it's twenty twenty one. Uh oh. <laughs> Well, hopefully we make it there. That would be good. You know, so we'll see. And they're they're making a new Mad Max, so you know, we'll find of out. Of course they are. They're making a new everything. Yeah. I mean, we just had Jeff Gomez um on. Jeff is a um he his company is, is called Starlight Runner Entertainment. And um they work with movie studios to create story bibles and story universes. So they've worked with like Avatar. Um, they're a transmedia company that they work on Amazing Spider-Man with um with Sony. They they recently they did stuff with Ultraman, um, uh, you know, bringing Ultraman uh, to Marvel Comics and bringing Ultraman, you know, back into into uh, the limelight again. Um, and you know, we were just talking. It's like we were talking about how Andrew Garfield and Tobey Maguire, the rumor that they're signing on for the next Spider-Man movie, and Hugh Jackman, he's going to be back as Wolverine. And 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 there's talk of bringing Quicksilver over from uh, the Fox, you know, X-Men films into the WandaVision universe so um uh, you know long story short nothing is ever nothing is ever over nothing's ever dead um if you have a if you have something that's recognizable uh studios want to 
they don't want to take chances. They, they, you know, it, it's it's so much harder to do something original and new rather than you know build something uh, or just kind of like build off of something that's already established. So yeah, of course it's gonna be Mad Max. There'll be another one. There'll be there'll be like seven more probably. Yeah, you know, but you know, even though I'm on a I'm on another pod, podcast called OK Boomer, I'm not quite a boomer. I'm close, but I'm still a Gen Xer. But you know, I was I'm apprehensible about lots of remakes of films. Sure, you know, and and pro and even programs. You know, I was. I was downright angry when I heard, oh, they're remaking Battlestar Galactica. I'm cool. It's nothing like the original. I hate it. Yeah. And then I sat down and watched it. I go, oh my God, this is like the best thing I've ever seen. <laughs> you know, so you never, you never, and you know, just like, you know, just like that in, in comics, whether, you know, whether it's indie, mainstream, mm-hmm. what have you, um, you don't know until you dip your toes in that end of the pool. Yeah, no, I, I agree. I agree for sure. I mean, it's, it's, um, you know, the, I mean, again, the, I think that's kind of the great thing about comics though, too, is, and podcasting, I got to be honest with you, it's, it's now, it's cheaper to do a narrative podcast or a scripted podcast than a comic because you just have to hire a couple of voice actors and they could be anybody and 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 um they generally work cheaper than artists um but between podcasts and comics you do have the freedom to just experiment and try something new and maybe it picks up and maybe it doesn't you know yeah well i tried this and it's still it's still going, and you know, there's enough people liking it, and we're growing growing the audience a little bit at a time. And that's all you do. I mean, I, my show's five years old now. I mean, it'll be five years in January, which is which is crazy. And um, you know, we did 212 episodes, 212 plus, to be honest with you, of um, Secrets of the Sire, and then Rogue Wave. We're already into episode 32 next week. So. Um, it was every week, you know, every week doing a new show and doing a new show and doing a new show. And, um, it's, it's a lot of work, but the, the, um, you know, the results are, you know, uh, they speak for themselves. You know, we, 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 we've grown an audience that, that I'm, I'm pretty proud of. It became something more than I ever thought it would. Um, I was able to land some unbelievable guests too. And, and, and once you, once you land a few and you kind of get to know, um, some of the, some of the publicists and things like that, you end up, you know, once you get a few, it adds the credibility of the show. And then all of a sudden it's like, all right, well, I want to be on that show too. It's like, okay, great. <laughs> like, that's great. Oh yeah. I had a publicist uh, reach out to me and uh, I'm waiting to hear back from her again. Um, that's great. She, she sent me over uh guy, Dorian senior. Nice. Uh, we talked, we chatted about everything for like an hour and a half and, and the new book that he was doing with the, uh, the new company. Cool. And uh, then the other week, uh, I get to uh, chat with Frank Forte for a little while. Nice. Now, let me ask you a question. What is your favorite character? Like your comic book? Um, you you love comics. Like, what's are you a Marvel guy, DC guy? What's what's your your Joker? Obviously, I I can tell you. Yeah, DC. I'm a yeah, I'm a Batman guy. I I grew up 
uh, you know, watching all the cartoons mm -hmm. and I was completely spellbound and kind of still am of yeah. the uh, Batman 66. I, you know what? I watched the reruns when I was a kid and, and, and there was nothing better, man. There really wasn't. You know, something about Julie Newmar in a cat suit. <laughs> that uh, doesn't hurt either. You know, and we didn't have a, you know, I grew up in like the 70s and 80s and, mm -hmm. you know, there wasn't a lot, you know, because like now every TV show and every movie is a comic book IP. I know. And, you know, back then we had, you know, reruns of the Adam West Batman, mm -hmm. the reruns of the George Reeves Superman, uh, then the, uh, the Shazam TV show came on. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, I remember being a kid and like I was I was like aching for for some good comic book related content, you know, like I remember really um you know, so so I was a I was a child of the 80s and 90s and uh you know, Batman I think was the first superhero movie that I remember being in and, and being like great, right? And then but then it went downhill. And then you had that you had that time really quick. The idea of a comic book movie, I mean, and and, and that's the funny part too. I think kids they don't realize, you know, because because everything's a comic book or everything's based off a comic book, you know, just how fragile the notion of a comic book would be. I mean, Blade came out and was great, but they did everything in their power to downplay the fact that it was even based off a comic. They didn't even want it. You didn't even like you didn't even want the studios wouldn't even want you to know. That it was based off a comic book because of because of what it would be perceived as, um, you know, and, and that's something that I think is is like to people to kids today would be like I don't I don't understand you know like um, everything everything's a comic book everything's a Marvel universe or DC universe DC can make sucky movies for up until about you know three years ago and people still come back and see the next one you know yeah but, I mean. I I mean, I, I'll tell you, I, I really didn't hate that Batman versus Superman all that much. <laughs> Here's the problem with Batman versus Superman, though. It was it was like three movies in one. And and that was the big if you if you literally just made one of those movies, um, instead of Doomsday and Wonder Woman, and you know, it was like DC's like, hey, that Marvel stuff, that's great. Zach, go go do that. <laughs> Because <laughs> the premise is actually, you know, the first hour of that movie is, is very, very entertaining. You know, Bruce Wayne sees Bat, sees Superman's like, well, shoot, what are we going to do if Superman ever attacks us? We need to come up with a battle plan. You know, we need to make sure that he's he's on our side. Um, totally great movie. Ben Affleck, or great premise, I should say. Uh, ben Affleck. Unbelievable Batman, to be honest with you. Like he fits, he fits, he looks like Bruce Wayne and he looks like Batman. Like he's he wasn't in the best Batman movie, but he was, I think, the best Batman, amazingly enough. Like I love Michael Keaton as Batman. He did a great job, but that's Michael Keaton playing Batman. It's 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 a very Michael Keaton thing, right? He he does an amazing job, but that's that's Michael Keaton playing Batman. Christian Bale, his bad voice was terrible, you know, it was like it was like little things like that. And he wasn't a detective in that either. Um, I mean, it's amazing. Ben, ben Affleck, I would never have thought. I, I remember hearing he was going to be Batman. I'm like, I don't want that Bruce Ben Affleck being Batman. Now I'm like, oh, he's going to be back in the HBO Max series. Yeah, that's great. Batfleck, he's back. So there's there's pluses to take from it. But I, I would say, what was it? Uh, 
Wonder Woman and then Aquaman was the um, yeah Wonder Woman then Aquaman then Shazam. I mean now it's three in a row where you have legitimately entertaining uh, DC films because they stopped trying to be Marvel. Yeah, they just went to be them. Yeah, they they do have a nearly perfect run on featured animation film though. Mm-hmm. Like Marvel does next to perfect box office movies and DC does next to perfect animated features. So, you know, what's um, you know what it is too. It's um, I, again, this is Jeff Gomez was telling us too. Cause I kept telling him, I kept asking him, I was like, how come you can have something like into the spider verse and, and it's amazing, but you have amazing Spider-Man too. And it's terrible. And he basically said, he's, he's like, well, because studio executives don't really, um, Get they it. don't, they don't, they don't care. They don't care, but they don't see animation as legit. Right. Um, and, and not in, uh, I don't want to be like in a negative way. Um, but they kind of don't, so, so they don't, they just leave it alone. They just kind of assume it's for kids and it's not worth their time. So the creators get to work without, you know, a jillion notes and a jillion recommendations and a jillion cooks in the kitchen. They get to literally just, and it's usually a smaller budget for animation too. So, so again, another reason why the executives are like, well, it'll make money or, you know, it it doesn't need to make a billion dollars to make a profit. It it could make a hundred million and it's, and it's a huge profit because the the cost for it was so much lower. Um, That kind of studio non-interference is why animated films are just the best. And what Bruce Tim did with Batman, the animated series. I mean, that was me growing up with watching that show. I mean, it, it was, you know, he set a template and a standard that you can easily, you know, replicate. Now, let me ask you another question. Look at this. I like, I like, I like putting my podcast hat, my podcast host hat on. Um, as a Batman fan, what did you think of the, of the Batman trailer? With mm. Pat? I was surprisingly excited. Oh, all right. And I, for certain things that were in the trailer. Okay. Um, but the other day I saw all kinds of things where now he doesn't want to play Batman. Oh, really? But, but these are all like, I think these are all like clickbait, like yeah. rumor mills, you know? Yeah. Like we've heard this forever. Um, and uh but he it was the the rumor is that he decided he doesn't want to play batman because he doesn't want to be typecast really captain twilight yeah yeah that's interesting um yeah i heard i I mean we were just talking the other day the other day and they were and um uh, one of the guys at Rogue Matters, like, yeah, I heard he he doesn't want to even be in the same room as the uh, director right now. Like, I guess that's a that's a rumor that's going on now. I, I mean, I will say, um, it, you know, if there's smoke, there's fire. So, I mean, if certain rumors are coming out, I mean, it's got to, you know, it's got to, there's got to be some sort of truth to it. But at the same time, like, you know, I don't know. I mean, he, the, the movie hasn't even come out yet. I mean, I know he got COVID from it. Maybe he's got a maybe maybe he's got a bad outlook on it because he got COVID. Who knows? 
you know, and, and maybe there's, a, you know, other cast members or people, you know, staff working on the movie the crew and everything that might have come down with it. And, you know, people are just picking stuff out of the air that, you know, yep. this sounds good. Let's, I think this happened. Yeah. Really? How do you know? Oh, I don't. I'm just thinking. <laughs> and, you know, but I was uh, super excited with the uh, with the Wonder Woman 84 trailer and super disappointed time after time after time after time of pushbacks from everything. Oh, I know. I know. We're good. We're, I mean, unfortunately... Tenant, so Tenant was the tent pole, right? Tenant, Tenant was the uh, the marker in the sand. Um, if Tenant had made money, now mind you, and I said this on on my show, I think it still will because I don't think it's ever go. I, I think Tenant will be the longest released film in in movie history. It'll be out for like three years, literally three years, because they'll because because of just um, you know all of the. Um, uh, there's just not going to be any movies until next summer, probably, and there might not even be movie theaters until next. You know, I mean, there. I mean, that's something we have to we have to really take into into consideration here. I mean, there are businesses that are just going out of business, and theaters are one of them. I mean, because you know they're not going to they're not going to open up because it's it, they don't have anything to attract people. People don't feel safe going to theaters. Um, so Tenant is doing doing fairly well overseas. Uh, assuming we get through the winter with, with COVID, maybe a vaccine, maybe uh, treatments coming out. So maybe by next summer where we're kind of back, I bet you Tenet will still be there. You know, like I don't, I don't see why it wouldn't be. I, I know that. I mean, when's, when's the, the first new film even scheduled for now? I mean, it's not going to be until what may, right? I don't think there's a sing- I don't think there's a single other, I think black widows coming back out in May. I think Bond is maybe maybe April, maybe I don't, I forget when when James Bond is coming out, but I don't think next summer. Yeah, so I think Tenet will still be there, and Tenet can still make money. But studios look at that and they're like, "Well, we're not we're not putting anything out now. You know, we're not we're not going to risk, um, you know, making you know under a half a billion, which is now the marker for for like." a lot of these tentpole movies just making their money back. So mm. unfortunately get used to wonder Woman. get it, get used to all this stuff just being pushed back until, until life uh, gets back to some sort of normal again. And I, I saw the other day where uh, AMC looks month after month of this uh, looks more and more like they're just going out of business. They're, yeah. Uh, last week their stock plummeted like another 16 points. Yep. So uh, it's t- it's tough to run a business when your business doesn't exist. Yeah. It's like you can't keep it and you know all the all the cost and taxes and you know Yeah. Look, and this is not to get in in any way shape or form into a political discussion about it, but there there is um factors that people have to realize go beyond just the risk of getting sick. I, I think we should, we can do things in a smart way and I think we can do things uh, in a healthy way, but, th- but there are, you know, businesses that are literally going to not survive this. And, you know, people tend to think of business as well or corporations, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, well, well in some, in many cases, it's small businesses. 
Um, I run small business. I run my own small business. So, uh, you know, I, I have a, I have a specific perspective on this where, you know, if my livelihood was kind of taken away, if all my hard work was taken away, um, you know, I, I'd be the first ones, you know, I'd be the first one complaining and, 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 you know, just cause you're a big corporation. I mean, they're giving us entertainment. Uh, they're giving us social entertainment. They're giving us uh, something to go do on a Friday night. I mean, it's, you know, these little things like that are, are we're going to wake up next year and these things aren't going to be there. You know, half the restaurants you used to go to, they're not going to be there. And um, I don't, I don't know what the best solution is. So, so again, I'm not, I'm not sitting there saying I know, or we should do this or shouldn't do that, but it's not something to just callously throw away either. I mean, this is, this is a, you know, normal is going to look a lot different <laughs> when we get back to it. And uh, yeah, you kind of have to think about that. It's just, you know, I just think it's crazy that, you know, all the big box stores can stay open. I'm like, right. What is so necessary at Best Buy? Right. No. Well, I mean, think about it too, right? You can get on an airplane, which is a giant funnel of, of, yeah, yeah. of, you know, you're basically enclosed, but you can't go to a, an outdoor baseball game. You know, you you can't go. You can't go to a wedding. You can't go to a funeral. Right. Uh, you can't do this. You can't do that. Right. Uh, you can't take your kids trick or treating. Right. Um, and, and don't get uh, me wrong. Look, but you can get on a plane. Right. Where nobody is social distance and packed in like sardines, and fly to Florida. And, and you know what? It's it's. I think it's just the consistency of the message that gets people like upset about it. Right. Like when you, when you throw it, when you, when you put it in those kind of like terms, um, you know, but again, no easy answers, you know? So, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm not going to choose a side or anything like that. I mean, I think it's a, it's a, it's a terrible situation one way or the other, but it's um, but some decisions kind of make, kind of scratch your head, you know? Yeah, I know the, the idiot governor of uh, Rhode Island today came out with a, with another news conference and told parents that if they wanted to take their kids trick or treating, mm -hmm. they had to do it during the day. They couldn't do what they couldn't do it at night because the chances of contracting COVID at night were big or better. Oh, so does that mean we can go out and do everything during the day because COVID only comes out at night now? That's interesting. I didn't hear, I've never heard that one yet. <laughs> well, I, I thought you were going to sit there and say, he said, you have to wear a mask. And it's like, well, isn't that what Halloween's all about? Yeah. I'm like, you know, I'd be more concerned about, you know, everybody has to wear a mask. Okay, let's all go to the bank. No, it's it's the one that's not wearing a mask is who you got to watch out for if you go to the bank. That's the guy who's going to rob you. Criminals yeah. are very upset with the mask wearing, though, by the way. They're very, they're like, well, look, how are we supposed to rob banks now when everyone's wearing a mask? You took our stick away. <laughs> so with everything you have going on right now, mm -hmm. what is something that you're looking forward to doing next year? I, I want, I want to just keep this train going. To be honest with you, I, I am. Um, uh, I I have two 
short stories that'll be kind of published. They'll be published on Rogue Matters site in the next uh, couple months. Um, this uh, backdrop I got is uh, Time Trader. Um, it's about a guy who can rewind time whenever he wants to, tries to take his powers to the stock market, discovers it's run by an Illuminati of people just like him. Um, so I'm busy writing this right now. Uh, we, like I said, we just actually just got funded. The second issue just got funded on Kickstarter. Um, Rogue's publishing the rest of the series anyway, which is great. Um, so it'll be available uh, next year. Um, I've got another project for Rogue Matter that I'm working on as well too. So, so honestly, like I said, I'm 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 a pig in slop right now. I'm I'm as I'm as I'm as happy as can be. Like just you know, I, in 2013, like uh, like I said, 2012 and 2013, those were those were uh, for me from a from a work perspective um, and a career perspective, very very dark times in 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 my in my life. Not not like bad, but just, you know, just in terms of career, right? Like my career had hit like a total standstill. And, um, you know, I, I, I was talking to somebody and he goes, well, what would your perfect day be like? And, and, and he's like, no, really picture your, what is you, what is your morning? Like, what do you, what, you know, wake up and what do you do? And I was like, you know, I just, I wake up, I go downstairs to my office and I'm working on something creative. I'm writing or I'm drawing or I'm doing something. And that's what, you know, and then I had a nine to five job I was going to at that point. I was, you know, working like an IT company and, um, you know, I was so far from where I wanted to be. So seven years later to be where I am, where I'm literally, I'm waking up every morning. I got two kids now. So that's a diff much different, <laughs> much different life. Uh, two young kids right now too. So a lot of energy goes into that. But once, once we get them off to daycare and, uh, or, or my wife takes them to the, to our parents or whatever the case is. I'm walking down the stairs and, and, you know, I mean, the other day I was literally, I think I have it right here, you know, I'm writing, you know, drawing, doing some sketching. Here's the outline for the, for the story and can't really see it in the camera, but, and, and I feel like I'm, I feel like I'm like cheating or something. I feel like something, something's, I'm just, I'm literally just sketching out panels and writing an outline and yeah, I'm getting paid for it. That's I don't know you can't I, I to me I can't I can't think of anything better than that. Well, it 2020 sucked for everybody but creatives. Yeah. Because you know, even if you were going even if you're going to like an outside office, now you don't have to and you can just do everything mm -hmm. at home, which I'm sure most most everybody writers, artists uh, and everybody in between would rather work from home in the first place for the most part. You know what's funny? So a couple things, right? One is that everyone's going through the same thing right now. So that's that's been that's been good, right? Like so, it, it's different. Like when your life gets thrown for a loop, um, the rest of the world has no sympathy for you, right? Because you know, oh, I have an illness or a death in the family, or I have, you know, or you know, I got divorced, or or you know, something something that rocks your life in a negative way, right? Um, the rest of the world is like, well that stinks, but you know, the rest of us are moving here. You got, you better keep up or else whatever. In this case, there is no difference. Like the, everyone, everyone, like, you know, I, I, you know, if I'm taking meetings and then I got my kids running around the background, you know, chances are on the other end, if they've got kids, they're running around in the background too, because, you know, so everyone's in the same boat. Um, so that helps, right. It, it, it kind of actually, um, it allows you to deal with this kind of like disruption in your life, uh, knowing that everyone's kind of going through the same thing. And then the second thing, though, uh, my wife is working from home five days a week now. Um, she worked from home two days a week prior to this. Uh, my neighbors never worked from home. 
they're getting sick of it actually they they actually want you know my wife is actually like i'm having a tougher time working because i'm in my house um you know we set up an office space next to her in my in my office which i had worked from home anyway and that's that's just what i did um and she was she's she was telling me the other day she's like i would kill to go to the office two days a week right now like or or just even one day she's like just one day because she could be very focused as opposed to working from home. So, um, and for me, my, my remote office was like Starbucks. Like I could go to a Starbucks and it, and it was cool because like you would, I don't know, I would plant myself down. Uh, there's free refills there. I'm a tea drinker, not a coffee drinker, ironically. And they have great teas and I would just buy one and I'd get a refill and maybe I'd buy a snack and, um, you know, I'd see certain people kind of doing what I do. So we actually, it was, it was weird. It was almost like working in like a shared office space um, this one woman, uh, we had met, you know, she worked out of the Starbucks too, just like me. So it was, it was kind of cool. Um, you know, so, so it, it, working from home is not always what it's cracked up to be. And it's nice to be able to get out. So, um, so I think, um, I think it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I do love it though, but also I used to work from home and no one else was home. <laughs> so it's also different, like. It's a different, it's a different working environment now for sure. Well, cause you know, an office is an office mm-hmm. to, uh, to you, but now, yeah, um, you know, depending on the time of day, your office could have, you know, some little ones running around. Four-year-old and two-year-old running around. Now, and the nice thing is I do have like my basement office is closed off to them for the most part. We don't let them down the basement. Um, just cause it's not like it's the office area is the only thing that is finished. Um, but you know, there's a lot of times I'd go upstairs. No, nope. like, like, you know, it. like I know it. I'm like, mm, I kind of have to go to the bathroom. No, nope, can't go. <laughs> can't. <laughs> no. Got to hold it. Cause if I go upstairs, then I get pulled into this, like, you know, other world. And, um, you know, it, it's like, it's also been a blessing to, um, we saved a, a, we saved a lot of money from daycare, but B, um, the amount of time we've gotten to spend with our kids now, like we wouldn't have, like, we just wouldn't have, it would be, it would be totally different. So, um, for that, we're very thankful for. Yeah, that's that's uh, a lot better. Me, uh, it went the other way because my my daughter lives with her mother. Okay, and the COVID thing was like, yeah, you know, I was at first I was like, she's doing you know school at home last year. I'm like, yeah. and it was like at the height of everything. I go, mm-hmm. you know what? I I'd, I'd rather you know just just leave her there for now and you know yeah in a few months see where it is and it and it went from that to uh um her just not feeling like bringing her to my house now so mm. you know i've seen her once in six months oh my gosh so how old uh 12 going on 20 <laughs> yeah <laughs> um i have a son and a daughter my daughter's two um and and I know it's going to flip when it gets around that 12, 13 year old, but right now she's like the easiest person to take care of. And, and, and um, you know, I, I, I grew up with an older sister. Uh, my wife grew, my wife was the older sister to, a, to a brother. So part of us were kind of like, Oh, I wish we, we kind of want to have two boys cause we've never had that. And we'd be interesting to see what that's like. Um, but yeah, having a daughter has been just like amazing. Like absolutely. I, 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 I know they always say the daddy's little girl thing, but it's, I don't know. I, I don't, I don't even like that term. Cause I feel like it's, it's something, it's something different. Um, 
you know, the love a father has for his daughter is the purest love I think a man can have for a, for a female. Like, a, like because there's you're not there's nothing but you're you're not like even even your wife. There's something you want from your wife, right? There's something you're you know, no matter what, you want companionship, you want this, you want that. Daughter, I just love her, man. <laughs> like, I just love her. Like it's it's a, it's a cool thing, man. I got to tell you, it was uh, completely unexpected. Yeah, I had I had custody of my daughter from the age of uh, two until uh, well, twenty sixteen. Uh, something happened with my health, and mm. I had to get rushed into the hospital, and uh, I died on the operating table. Oh my gosh. Uh, a few times <laughs> so, wow. and coded in uh, ICU a bunch of times and wow. they, they had to put me into a medical coma and then they told my Whoa. friends and family, oh, you better make plans. I don't think he's coming out of it. And then, then one day I, I woke up Wow! and you know, what do you remember? Do you remember anything? Oh yeah. I got, I got massive PTSD from, everything that happened to do like emergency surgery. I've got like three 18 inch scars on the, on my right leg on the right side, left side and backside. Wow. I had two separate, uh, infections mm -hmm. and my body went 100 percent septic wow so uh i had asked the doctor about this growth on the back of my leg he goes doesn't look like anything but you know keep checking you know and i was going for you know yeah. wound care and he's like he goes we'll just keep checking it every week when you come and then you know one week i didn't make it to the appointment and they never heard from me for like about a year and uh it was because the this thing it blew up to like the size of like a half a softball. Oh my gosh! In the back of my calf, and it turns out that entire thing was full of was full of sepsis. Wow! And it exploded. It went <sighs> from my body like and like the flash. Holy cow! And I was I was at work at the time. I I was a I was a nightclub DJ for thirty five years. So wow. That's where I get the, and now back to the program. <laughs> and, uh, but you know, it was, it was crazy. My, the majority of my collection is actually, and most of my stuff and a lot of my daughter's stuff is in storage. A friend of mine that I worked with, mm -hmm. uh, helped pack it up and hold it all to his house, like the next day over. And uh, now we're desperately trying to get it back because, as you can see, I have a nice big loft that I live in now. and That's good. And, you know, plenty of room. And I'm going through, you know, trying to, trying to liquidate and get rid of comics so I can buy more comics. And, uh, and I'm like, you know, just thinning, you know, thinning the herd and, sure. you know. I'll buy something on a whim and, you know, I just, I just pulled out a Teen Titans 12 first, uh, Batman who laughs. Okay. And I, I look up on eBay and I go, oh, they're selling for like, you know, one, $200. And then I, I look, 
But if you spend the $40 to get it graded, it's selling for a little over $800. Ooh. So I'm like, yeah, I'll spend the 40 bucks. It's a good move. Yeah, I'll spend the 40 bucks to, you know, to... Uh, you do many Comic-Cons? Do you go to many Comic-Cons? Um, I used to, I used to do uh, uh, Boston. I covered, I covered Rhode Island last year for Outright Geekery, mm-hmm. which I thought was amazing. I didn't go see any of the, you know, Hollywood millionaires. Uh, one, they don't need my money. Two, I, no. I'm not giving them my money. Um, and, uh, I basically, you know, I hung out and did a lot of, did a lot of photos with the, with the cosplayers, mm-hmm. many of whom I already know. And, uh, then I, I, I just hang out in artist alley talking to, uh, sure. the freelance guys and everybody else. I, sat and talked to a very happy uh, Neil Adams for 45 minutes while he was setting up. Okay. And I mean, I mean, it's Neil Adams. Yeah. You know, um, I, I hung out with, uh, I hung out for a while with Graham Nolan, Bill McKay, Mike Grell. Nice. Uh, Christopher Priest. Uh, What's Mike Grell doing these days? He's not doing any Grendel, is he? Sadly, no. No. Well, he did. He did some. The, he did some the other year, and he's got something in the work. But I don't know what's going on with it right now. Yeah, I haven't heard it. That's a name I have not heard in a long time. I did Boston Comic Con a couple in twenty eighteen. Um, it really wasn't that good. I was. I was a little. I, I was know, a little. It went from Boston Comic Con to Boston Fan Expo. Yeah, that's. I did the Fan Expo. See, Boston Comic Con I went to, and that was great. Boston Comic Con was great, but I think it switched hands. Yeah, and a bunch of the bigger a, a bunch of the bigger cons, not New York, but when San Diego was like, "Well, we're trademarking the the freest mm-hmm. Comic Con, so you can't use it." Right. I'm like, oh, really, really? You're not even a. I don't consider it a Comic Con. It's all Holly. It's like ninety percent Hollywood, and then you know. There's still like thousands of, you know, comic people there, but it's, you know, it's all, it's all pop culture. It's not, yeah you know, I, I'd rather, I'd rather go to an old fashioned comic show. Well, I mean, it, I, I, and I tell this story all the time too. I mean, remember what comic cons used to be. I mean, even the big ones back in like the early 2000s, compared to what they are now i mean it's 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 like night and day um it's not just the hollywood influence because there was hollywood influence there but it was um i I mean just in terms of like who showed up and i mean you could count on one hand like how many like women you'd actually see at these shows (laughs) you know and now now it's like not just women coming, but it's, I mean, it used to be like guys dragging their girlfriend. Maybe now it's girlfriends dragging their boyfriend. I mean, I've actually seen that where like the boyfriend's like really not into this and the girls are more into it than the guys are. It's, it's, um, it's, I mean, it's, it's awesome. It's, it's, it's a, it's a totally different and, and, and it's depending on what show you go to uh, C2E2 is one of my favorites. I mean, it's like a giant party. I mean, and the hotels just kind of let you, you know, hang out in the, in the, basically in the hotel, like the, the, um, the Hyatt that's attached to the, 
convention center. I mean, it's it just filled. It's just filled with just fans, like cosplayers and fans, and and they're just drinking, having a good time. So it's it's a it's a it's a different experience than it was uh, oh those years ago. Oh yeah, the Rhode Island show uh, is good. I remember the first the first I went the very first year, mm-hmm. and uh, I was there for like a good like six hours. Yeah. You know, and just wandering, and it was it was smaller then, and they were there was some kind of uh, beef between the uh, the the showrunner mm-hmm. and the the city of Providence. Yeah. So the first thing the city of Providence did was send extra cops down when they saw when they saw like all the lines and everything and the next thing they did was send the fire marshal down oh you're way over capacity nobody can come in not even when they leave and and you had like uh people like run to their car to get stuff or like getting stuff you know getting books signed or Mm -hmm. you know buying some you know nice stuff and you know, running up to the parking garage to to lock it up in their vehicle, and then come back in, and they were being stopped. Uh, cosplayers were you know walking around to see what was going on, and then they were going out to their car, getting dressed up in their costume to walk back in, and they couldn't get in. Yeah. And so the next thing that he did was he extended it from. It is now all of the Providence Civic Center, which is like the, you know, the show venue for concerts and mm-hmm. various other things. So it's the uh, it's the Civic Center and the Civic Center is joined to the Convention Center. So it's the entire Convention Center, every single floor mm-hmm. and the entire outer ring of the. Uh, of the Civic Center, so it's like. It's like still like it. It's like even like a bigger show now. Yeah. But you know, ninety percent of that is all, you know, the top like three or four floors are all like, it's nothing but Hollywood. Mm-hmm. You know, it and it almost seems like a contest between these different big shows to see. How many how many TV and movie stars we can have more than the than the the last show or the or what's supposed to be the biggest show like a C two E two or or San Diego or New York you know Reed runs really good comic shows I got to tell you um, New York is my hometown show and I go to that one every year uh, as an exhibitor C two E two I just started doing as an exhibitor too they they run really good shows I'd like to do Emerald City I haven't done that San Diego is is just a blast actually it's the one show I go to and I don't have a booth or anything like that I just go sometimes like when I was when I did um, a book at Zenoscope I was able to do an autograph signing with them. Um, my best San Diego actually is 2009, though, when my image book came out because I got to sign copies of my book next to McFarlane, Larson, Lee, Life. Like they had the image united. Um, so right next to me was like all these guys that, you know, like I idolized growing up. So that was an amazing experience. Um, you know, yes, I, I used yeah. to like you until you said that. Uh, <laughs> well, let me tell you, you know, and, and kudos to my dad uh, for, for putting up with this when I was a kid. But I mean, we used to, I, I remember back in 90, 
92 or 93. I forget. I think it was 92. Uh, literally waiting three hours outside in the freezing cold. It's like January, February um, to get the image guys to sign my books. It was, you know, it was Jim Lee and Rob Liefeld. And uh, it wasn't McFarlane wasn't there. I think it was Jim Lee, Rob Liefeld and Mark Silvestri all came to the local comic book store. Um, it's probably 92 because I think it was probably like the image tour or whatever. Um, and they came to the wizard store. That was the wizard magazine store. So, um, you know, the people who, who ran the magazine. And so I waited in line. I got signatures from all of them. And then, so, so again, to fast forward, you know, 17 years later, and, and I'm kind of realizing that dream of, of, you know, having people come and buy my book and autographing and next to the people I used to wait in line for. I mean, man, that's, I, I, that's, that's one of the, the highest points in my life for sure. Oh, that, that is definitely huge. And I mean, my Todd is an empire now. Oh Yeah. You know he he's definitely earned that that nickname that the uh, that all the all the fanboys dubbed him with uh, the Todd Father. Yeah, for, for sure. <laughs> I mean, you know, he's like, you know, it wasn't enough that you know he had had his toy company and he was making you know phenomenal product, and then he then he goes and snags the uh, the entire DC DC line, and he's doing action figures and statues and everything for uh, like all these video, all these video game properties and, and, you know, some movie and TV properties as well. I'm like, man, I remember trying, you know, running around, you know, Toys R Us stores and, you know, various mall toy stores, just trying to find, uh, you know, my favorite start starting lineup figures for, uh, you know, Boston Bruins players and I'm like it was like you know impossible and then you go to a kiosk you walk mm-hmm. by a kiosk in the mall and this this guy with a kiosk would go around to all the toy stores buy up all the figures mm-hmm. and then yeah. quadruple the price on them and put them on his rack and you know he, he, he was set up like right outside the uh, it was a sports store by my in my local mall that uh, it had like, you know, 15% like clothing, like jerseys and stuff. And the rest of the store was nothing but like sports autographs. Oh man. You know? And this guy was like sitting like right outside there. I'm like, yeah. Oh. But I mean, I just saw, uh, I mean, Todd's got his own convention, virtual convention going on right now. He's an innovator, man. I mean, look, Say what you will, uh, and look, his artwork is 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 top notch too. So you, I mean, he's got the talent to back up anything he's doing. But I mean, you know, he he re, uh, I mean, he 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 completely changed the the uh, toy industry. Um, you know, I, I love the story he tells about the Spider Man eyes. How he kept getting you know yelled at for making the Spidey eyes all mm-hmm. wide and whatnot, and that became the staple. You know, so uh, you know he he's done he's done everything to kind of like break these traditions and, 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 and just, he's a disruptor. He's a, he's a complete innovator. And he, he branched out because, you know, he's like, okay, I'm a huge name in the comic industry now, but what happens when I retire, mm-hmm. I, need to, I need to do something else. And, you know, he launched McFarlane toys and, you know, yep. 
like a little offshoots, like various figures here and there. And then he did like, you know, the starting, the starting lineup line and, you know, how many people were like going, going nuts, trying to uh, figure out, you know, which violator was which violator in the, in the land of McFarlane repaints. Yep. Oh man. Because I I remember there was an issue of, let's go back to Wizard, that covered the entire because Wizard was also was also part of Toy the Toy Fair magazine. Yep. And Toy Fair was great, and Toy Fair became um, um, Robot Chicken. Mm-hmm. All those guys ended up doing ended up going off and doing Robot Chicken. But I remember there there was an issue that the entire thing was dedicated to the spawn toy toy line Mm. and it broke down, you know, all the different, you know, repaints or, you know, sculpts. Well, I know it says this on the package, but if you look and it has this, it's the chase figure. If it's not there, it's just the regular. And it was, you know, it was insane because the the toy store that I've been going to for, for 35 years, we all work. The owner now used to be the manager and him, myself, and a few other people all worked there. And every night we'd lock up the store and we'd run up to uh, Toys R Us and Circus World and, you know, KB Toys. And we'd all split up and we'd hit a different store. You'd be like, okay, these are what we're looking for. And it was either we were looking for spawn figures or we were looking to see if we could find any, uh, every once in a while, somebody would find like a case of like superpowers figures that had been sitting in a warehouse forever. And it would show up to like one of these small mall toy stores. Yeah. And, you know, we just, we just go grab that. We had like an entire corner of the shop that was nothing but spawn. It was crazy. Uh, yeah, no, it was absolutely. That was a, it, a good time. It's, though. it's it's not going. It's not going away. He's, he's still. Going I think he'll get that movie, movie made. I think he'll get that new movie made. I don't. I know Jamie Foxx wants to do it. So. Yeah. That name just sends chills down my spine now because of the electro announcement. Maybe, maybe he just needs a good movie to be a part of. Yeah, I know, but, but, but like it's a sequel. Everybody will go and watch it. It doesn't matter what it is. That's, that's true. Kind of like the producers years ago that wanted uh, Nicholas Cage to be Superman, and right. he was, was going to fight polar bears on the way to the Fortress of Solitude. And he wasn't awesome. flying. He wasn't flying there. He was walking. Yeah. Uh, why? <laughs> well, that's just what we're envisioning. We want to. <sighs> yeah, Nicholas Cage as Superman. Just no. 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 I had a hard time, hard enough time with him as uh, Ghost Rider. I I hmm, can't even say I watched those. <laughs> I'm a sucker for anything comic book wise. No, no shame in that. So, 
what comics originally got you into loving it? Um, I, so I was a huge fan of the Mutant Ninja Turtles. Um, so the cartoon show, I used to wake up on Sunday mornings. So this was like the first season when it was out. Um, and you know, Saturday morning cartoons was a huge thing, but Sunday morning cartoons were usually absolute garbage. Um, and so at seven 30 in the morning on like, you know, it wasn't even like NBC or anything like that. It was like, you know, channel 11, um, for, for me. Um, I used to, I used to just watch and I, and I tuned in and I was like, this show is awesome. And I was 10 years old and it was just the greatest thing. And, um, Actually, I was like nine even. I was in fourth grade. And then my friends uh, also got into it, and we just started making these Mutant Ninja Turtle comics. And so that – I still have them. I made like 32 of them or 40 of them. I mean, wrote and draw like all these, you know, different adventures. And um, and then what do you call um, – same one of the same friends I'm still friends with today. Uh, he, We got into the Marvel cards. And he handed me a uh, Spider-Man comic. It was Spectacular Spider-Man. I want to say 158, which shocker. Um, I gotta, I gotta look this up because I know um, I'm gonna forget it. But uh, yeah, and uh, and then I became a Spider-Man guy, and and that was you know I just became all like just all Marvel at that point. And um, and then as you get into being a teenager, you get into X-Men because that's what you do. And that was also again, look, that was right around the time. Jim Lee was drawing X-Men. I mean, it was, it was, um, Oh yeah. I mean, you know, you don't realize like what a, Oh, it wasn't 158. I think it was 152. Hmm. Anyway. Um, you don't, you don't realize sometimes how good you have it until you don't have it. Right. And, um, I mean, those nineties, those nineties runs of all the books. I mean, think about it too. You know, right before Image started, you had Liefeld on X-Force, you had Jim Lee on X-Men, you had Will Spartacio on Uncanny X-Men, you had Mark Silvestri drawing Wolverine, you had Todd McFarlane drawing Spider-Man, you had Eric Larson drawing Spider-Man, who I absolutely love Eric Larson as well, too. Um, and I was even a fan of Jim Valentino's Guardians of the Galaxy. He was kind of always that um, smaller one of the bunch in terms of, like, what he had accomplished at that point. Um, but his Guardians run is still an amazing run. That was that was all Marvel talent. Claremont writing the X Men books with these guys. Um, Fabian Nicieza, who's become a good friend of mine, uh, which is another you know just you know cool thing. Um, and and I mean, like, how lucky were we? You know, like you just didn't even know how lucky we were um, to have that ama that amount of talent. And don't get me wrong, I mean, I think the two thousands were an amazing time as well. Uh, you know. I, I laugh at the ultimate universe, but the ultimate universe produced the ultimates with Brian Hitch and, um, you know, Mark Millar, you know, kind of putting, you know, his stamp on things, Brian Bendis, you know, being who he was and, and, and creating so many great stories. But, you know, I think there's these things, you know, you go on these little runs of, of just great creativity. Um, and, and you get to be a fan of that. And, uh, and the early nineties were definitely, were definitely that for me. Oh yeah. Um, uh the biggest mistake I made in the nineties was, you know, when I fell in love with, with Jim Lee's artwork was okay. I got to buy multiples of every X-Men book. I, I, I sat in on a signing he did, um, because he was up, he was up near me. Um, and I mean, I was doing an interview with him and he's literally just sketching away as I'm doing this interview. And, 
and all of a sudden, like it's just Wolverine drawn by Jim Lee, and it, and it and he he wasn't even looking at the paper half the time, and he just it was just like, <gasps> and it just became like well, I'm like oh my god, and it was it was just one of the most amazing drawings, you know, like so so, I mean the amount of talent he has it's it's unmatched, absolutely unmatched. Oh yeah, I wish they I wish he would just go back to, you know, being an artist instead of. Uh... The, the corporate guy that he is now. Well, I mean, DiDio was mostly the corporate guy. Jim Lee was, I think, he's a smart enough guy to know, uh, you know, to, to know what to do in that position. But he also, you know, was, was had, a, I think, a bigger hand in the creative aspect to it. So now it's just him. Um, and, and he's got to be front and center asking questions. So, I mean, who knows? You know, who knows? Uh, who knows what the future of DC is going to be? They've, they've done some. Uh, interesting things this past year for sure. Yeah, the uh, the the whole G five thing that Dan wanted to do. Yeah, and, and now like I go, oh, he's gone, so that's squashed. Yep. And then I see the announcement for you know the beginning of of next year. I'm like, oh, they really did G five, so we're gonna get like two months of you know what if stories. Mm-hmm. of the G5 universe. And I'm like, yep. on the plus side, I can save myself a whole lot of money by not buying any DC comics. <laughs> and, you know, and I don't buy, I Marvel, it's uh, a mortal Hulk. Right. I mean, it's that I think is like probably like the best book. I think they've, put out in years. Yeah. Uh, Marvel, Marvel keeps reinventing itself, which is, um, you know, which is good. I'm actually looking at the 5g stuff right now, uh, too, I guess, uh, future state line, not part of DC universe. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Eh. Oh, well. And I'm like, I kind of, you know, and of course the first thing they do is, you know, because we get all the PR, so the first thing I do is start rushing out, you know, cover images. Because you, you know, it's the you know it's the generation of uh, ooh variants. Yeah. Oh yeah. Ooh, you know, store exclusives. You know, and so that's going to lead me into what are your thoughts? Because one, you're a creator, mm -hmm. but, you know, even, even on the flip side of the way, uh, you know, cause I see a lot of people that they're collecting, uh, and, but they're not collecting, you know, we would, we would collect and read, yeah. you know, the books month after month we collect them. You slap them in a bag and a board, put them in a box, mm -hmm. keep them nice, you know, you know, get bored and, you know, snowed in or something for a week. And, you know, you break into a comic box and you're, sure. you know, a favorite run or something. But I see so many people that are just jumping at like all these store exclusives, like the, you know, limited to 400 
and they know everybody wants the virgin variant so right. you can only buy the virgin variant if you buy the set and and then they started and then you know some 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 of them started with the and we'll sell you the set but we're not going to guarantee it at a 9.8 unless mm -hmm. you pay three times the amount for the set right you know or like triple the amount you know for the you know for the for the graded cop for the signed and graded copies or yeah you know, do you think all that's like you know so far out of hand or well i'll say this i'll say a couple things right one is um doing the plan 59 kickstarter um so james massey from dren productions that's that's the publisher of that of that book uh and we're working in conjunction with uh tom hutchinson from big dog inc and on Kickstarter, I mean, one of the things, you know, we, we kind of talked about the best strategies is to have variant covers. Mm -hmm. it, 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 it's, and it's one of the things because it gets more people involved. It gets more people wanting this or that. Now, an indie Kickstarter is different than a Marvel or DC book doing variant covers. Don't get me wrong. It's not apples to apples. But the, but the idea behind it was, you know, we'll be able to earn more money by having variant covers. And even on the Time Trader, we ended up commissioning two extra covers um, than what we had originally had just because that was a big thing. And some of these variant cover artists have gotten followings of their own and people really liked, you know, to buy their stuff. Like, uh, Steph Wilson's name was, was mentioned and, you know, he does a very like, you know, busty kind of style, like cartoony style and is, but he's got a following that goes along with it. So, uh, again, the idea of the variant cover is to make more money. It is to it is to whoever the publisher is, whether it's an indie publisher or Marvel or DC, it's it's there to make more money or make the retailers more money. Um, although the retailers, I think, end up getting burned either way. But um, mm -hmm. you know, it, it's it is a sales tool. Um, now, flipping around the other side of things, though, right? Why is it a sales tool? Uh, because it works. And if it didn't, you know, if there was no demand for this stuff, they wouldn't do it. You know, if, if we didn't, if we did, we did, I think we did six covers for plan 59. If we ended up not getting funded the next time around, we would have been like, well, let's not do that again. Let's not do six covers again, you know? Um, but we did and it, and people bought the set and some people just picked the one they liked and it was, it was effective. So, you know, we can blame publishers for doing it, but at the end of the day, uh, we're the ones buying it. So they're not going to stop doing it. It's it's like you sit there and go, oh gosh, I'm tired of this movie. Why did they make another sequel? It's like, well, because you went and saw it. <laughs> you know, so if you didn't go see it, once once you stop seeing the movie, they'll stop making the Friday the Thirteenth. You know, part eleven. You know, <laughs> like if you stopped after two, there wouldn't be a part eleven. So um, whether or not that's the kind of collecting we would do, I, I don't even collect anymore. I mean, I remember when I was kind of younger, um, the notion of owning something that had value was cool. Like buying, um, you know, kind of owning. I actually just, it's funny. I recently finished my New Mutants collection uh, of the Liefeld run, uh, with the exception of like 87, which is Cable's first appearance, and Deadpool's first appearance, which are both like, you know, super expensive. Maybe I'll buy it when I'm like 65. Um, and at that point, my kids are out of college, so I don't care. But, um, but I was buying, like, I, and I, got them cheap on Amazon, to be honest with you. I found some of these things and I'm, and I'm looking at these books and I'm thinking to myself, man, when I was a kid, I mean, they used to be hanging up on the walls of the comic store and it used to be like, 
you know, $75, $100. And that's, you know, back in the 90s, $75 is a lot of money. I mean, still a lot of money, but $75 now compared to what, what it was then, it was like, that was a lot of money for these books. Um, so there was a cool thing about owning something that had value. So, uh, but I, but in my mind, I've been like, I'm never selling this. Like I've got my Superman 75, you know, bagged and, you know, the death of Superman issue. It's still bagged. It's still in its bag. Um, but I also bought the reader version so I could read the, read the comic too. Um, those things are worthless now. Um, and I don't care. Like, I don't care that they're worthless. Like they, they have value to me because they remind me of a time that, that, you know, there was a craze for this kind of stuff. And the X-Men books that I bought, like, uh, I actually finished up my Jim Lee collection of uncanny X-Men too. I found like, um, the second appearance of Gambit. I got that. I got the Captain America Wolverine issue. I got, you know, a couple, like couple little holes I had in my collection. Um, and it's, and it's a collection because it means something to me, not because it's worth something. So, um, but I'm not going to knock anybody for anything they do. I, I, I when I was younger, I would have, but now I'm kind of like, nah, it's, it's cool. Like, you know what, if you want to buy all 18 variant covers that Marvel wants to put out, Hey man, it's your money and it's helping the comic book store out. So it's helping Marvel out. Can't, you know, I, you know, I can't, I can't, um, I think the only one I did that with, um, was you know yet again back to Batman? Yeah, was, was Detective One Thousand. Okay. Now, I didn't go out and buy the store variants. Mm -hmm. I bought um, from an online dealer. Um, I bought the pack he was offering. Uh, you know the ten the ten issues that uh, DC put out themselves. You know, so Batman through the decades. And, uh, well, the 10 covers, you know, same issue. Yeah. And, uh, and he, he had a store exclusive. So if you bought, if you bought like, you know, the entire set, if you bought the box set from DC, you got the free store exclusive, but it wasn't, the store exclusive wasn't a, uh, wasn't a detective 1000, the store exclusive was a homage cover to Detective 27, but it was uh, Morant's Do You Poo series. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I'm like, there was only 75 of those made, so I'm like... Wow. You know? Yeah. So, you know what? Like I said, if, if that's what gets you excited about comics, great. You know, if it gets... If you want to buy them, if you want to read them digitally, great. Like uh, to me, it's just it's about the storytelling and creating something that you can get really excited about. Um, and, and there's very few things out there that gets me excited again about comics. Um, I thought the Powers of Ten series and the House of X, like that was as close to you know my X Men that I kind of remember being for a long for a long while. Mm -hmm. um, you know, th there's. You know, again, certain books that get me excited, but whatever it is, as long as people are reading and buying, I'm cool with it. And now the Exoswords with a 22 part crossover. Yeah, that one I got. That one I kind of lost steam on. I got it. I got to. I got to pick that back up again. I'll, we'll figure it. I've been to the comic store as much with COVID. <laughs> I I bought. I only bought one issue. It was like part two, but I I bought it because I had to have the. Alex Ross Angel cover. The time the Alex Ross Timeless covers. Okay. So 
I've got like a hand, I've got like a handful of those, but when I've got everything, I've got all the, uh, the, the powers of 10 and the other one that went with it. I've got those. I still haven't read them yet. Yeah. Because I basically, you know, from various podcasts, you know, with other podcasts from, you know, outright geekery and everything. Yeah. I pretty much know everything that happened already. You know, one day I'll, you know, when I have the time, I'll, 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 I'll sit down and I'll, I'll like, you know, take a day off and, and just power through and read, you know, the whole thing. But I, mm -hmm. with, <clears throat> with the way it went and they turned around and was like, okay, you got these two. And now we're going to launch eight different mutant titles. Yeah. And then we're going to tie them together in a 22 arc story that you have to buy them all. And I went, nope. Yeah. That's, I just, um, I just became a trade waiter. Yeah. <laughs> you know, I like trades a lot, actually. I, I, and you know, it's funny. I mean, I mean, 10 years ago, it would have been like, no, I like the floppies, like the single issues. But now, forget it, man. For space reasons, just for, you know, I'm a big fan of buying trades. I'm a big fan of, I'm not a huge, I still can't get into digital, but from a space saving um, perspective, I mean, one of the things with, with COVID too, and, and this is uh, this is definitely not an isolated story, um, I'm sure many, many, many people are saying the same thing. I got to finally start organizing some of my collection. And I'm like, man, I got to get rid of these like copies of Generation X. Like I don't, I'm not ever going to reread these books. Like they're not even in bags. Like I just threw them in a box somewhere and I'm like, I got to get rid of this. Like there's a lot of, a lot of comics, man, that, that I just don't even need anymore. Well, yeah. I, uh, when they were redoing the age of apocalypse story for like the 90th time, Ugh, I know. Um, I was just, you know, I was just scrolling through Facebook on my phone and marketplace came up and some guy had the complete omnibus for the original age of apocalypse, mm -hmm. you know, the, the, the two pre issues and then the four part Legion story that led into age of apocalypse, mm -hmm. uh, you know, it's like a, you know, $200 omnibus or something. And, I got it for twenty bucks. Wow! So it's you know it's behind me on the on the table next to my recliner. Yeah. And you know everyone's you know I'll I'll pick it up. So I got like all kinds of other books over there, and I'm you know I'm I'm trying to sort through and and organize myself and you know but I'll you know I'll put on I'll put on a movie that I've seen you know like a million times, and uh, you know that I still enjoy the movie. I look up once in a while, but. You know, I'll, I'll sit and read, you know, about 20, 30 pages of the book, put the bookmark back in, put it down and, you know, you know, finish the movie, make a cup of coffee and, you know, read a couple, you know, modern books that I've got stacked up. And, and I had, I had so many books from when I went, from when I landed in the hospital into the coma that I hadn't read yet. I had uh, like two folding nine foot tables that were just stacks of comics all the way. Uh, wow. Some of them organized, none of them bred. <laughs> so, you know, I'm, I'm 
looking at uh, getting, you know, all my collectibles and collection and everything back uh, probably by next month. Okay. So, you know, I'll, I'll be, you know, I'll be happy. It'll be my version of the rich guy rolling. It'll be like my version. When I get all my comics back, it'll be kind of like, you know, Mm -hmm. Scrooge McDuck rolling around the money in his vault. <laughs> Except, you know, me, it'll be comics and I won't roll on them because, you know, I don't I don't want to cause a crease. Sure. That's awesome. So, so besides your books, mm -hmm. would, would, would you recommend an indie book? Oh, yeah. Straight Bullets. I don't know if, if you haven't ever read that, you got to read it. It's, it's the most amazing. That's my favorite book comic period. Um, I picked it up in college. Um, and he went on like on a 10 year hiatus. Uh, it was crazy, but, uh, then image brought him back. Um, it is, they, they label like a crime comic and, and it is, it follows like this, um, uh, these characters that are all revolve around like a Baltimore, uh, crime gang. But, um, it, it is some of the most nuanced storytelling, uh, humanized characters. Um, there's a, I don't even know how to phrase this so it doesn't sound creepy, but there's a, there's a, a molestation run uh, story um, that is probably one of the most powerful um, stories that, that, that deal with such a terrible, terrible subject, but in such a, I mean, it, it was, I mean, you read it and you're, I mean, it's, it's unbelievable. Like, and, and, um, so he, I don't know, David Lapham is just a creative genius and, um, I met him a few times. He's actually a really, uh, awesome dude. And, um, I'm glad he brought straight bullets back and, uh, you guys should go by, go by the original run. Um, I think image released, uh, it was only 40 issues, the original run. So he, he had all 40 issues and then he came out with a new series called sunshine and roses. And, um, I'm waiting for that to end. I don't know what happened to it, but it's, I don't know, 20, 30 issues in already to that. So, um, but it's, it's, um, it, it's, it was, it's almost like watching Pulp Fiction. Pulp Fiction is actually a really good analogy for it in the sense that, uh, it's not a straight linear story. Um, you meet the characters at different times, certain characters that may have died, you know, kind of come back, but it's because he's telling stuff that happened before they die. Um, and, um, and, and the way he kind of like he, I, issue five, like for example, is a big, or I think it's issue five. Oh, yeah. It's issue five. It's a big cliffhanger. And, um, oh, maybe it's actually issue two. I don't know. One, one of those issues is like a big cliffhanger. And the next issue has nothing to do with it, right? Just goes on to another group of people within the circle, tells their story, yada, yada, yada. Like six, seven issues later, it circles back to two of the main characters from that cliffhanger issue. And they're, they're out of Baltimore. They're, they're, they're on the run, uh, you know, across the, uh, country now from, from these, these criminals. And they just have this like little conversation, two panel conversation. And it's like, well, it's not my fault you know, my boyfriend got, you know, got executed and you're like, Oh, that's what happened. Like, like, it, you know, and it's like, you, 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 you know, you don't get to see it. You don't get to even know what happened, 
But if you're smart, not if you're smart enough, but if you're quick enough to like pick up on it, you're like, oh, that's that was what the you know. So it's like it's like answering the ending The Sopranos in a in a two panel little conversation. Um, and it allows you to kind of fill the blanks in and um, it's not done in an annoying way. You know, it, doing that can be annoying, right? It could be it could it could annoy the reader or frustrate the reader. Uh, it's done in such a way that it allows you to do it in a in a in a, an enjoyable way. So go read Stray Bullets. It's great. And uh, finally, if you can pick anybody in the field to work with on a project, who would it be and why? Hmm, that's a good, good question. I'll, you know what? I will go stupid lame answer and just say Jim Lee. Like, I think if I could have, if I could have my characters drawn by him, I'd be, I'd be, that, that'd be cool. <laughs> like, I'm good. I actually love Eric Larson too. I would love to have, I, I could go either one, Eric Larson or, or Jim Lee. Eric Larson I love because uh, I thought his Savage Dragon run, and he's obviously still on Savage Dragon. That's, that's a, an admirable and amazing thing. I, um, I stopped reading it when the, when he killed off Savage Dragon and his son took over. Um, but his initial, like, I don't know, fifth, first 50 issues of Savage Dragon. I'm, I, I remember reading it and he was just so off the wall and, uh, and so zany with, with like, I remember he like had Savage Dragon, like fight God. He had him like coming out of the butt of like a monster at one point. He had Hellboy in there. Like he was just doing whatever kind of excited him. So um, and I always loved his artwork, so I would love to see him, but yeah, no, I think, I think just Jim Lee. Yeah. Jim Lee, Jim Lee drawing the sire. There you go. I'm, I'm good. Like, good night. I'm done. I'm go home now. All right, Jim, you hear that? You know, like you would ever be watching my podcast. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you never know. You never know. You can, you can never tell. Well, I want to, I want to thank you for, for joining us and, and hanging out and chatting, uh, all things geek tonight. Um, all of all of Michael's information and places you can find him on the interwebs are either up above or down below, depending on where you're watching us at. Yep. And that's going to wrap up another episode of Creators Outlet. Thanks for joining us, and we'll see you again very soon. Enjoy your weekend.